Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. Today's guest has turned tragedy into triumph. Sandy hansen Wolf sadly lost her husband Randy of 15 months to leukemia and in the process gained his agricultural business that frankly she knew nothing really about. Now with her house as collateral against a failing business, Sandy had no choice but to step in and run the show. 18 years later, she finally sold. Here's her journey on how navigating near bankruptcy to being in the black in just under two years, and then finding her footing in a male-dominated industry and her lessons on how other businesses can do the same. This is Sandy Hansen-Wolf. Hello, Sandy. Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me, Simon. This is a, a humble privilege. Thank you. Well, look, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing more about your story. Um, now, I know that we are going to have a little bit of a chat about a, a business and a family business that, that you exited, which I, I believe is Ag Venture Feed and Seed. Maybe just to sort of help the audience get an understanding of who you are, maybe, maybe you could just sort of give us the Sandy story leading up to that and how you kind of got into that business in the first place. Yeah, so I will... I think everyone has, you know, when they become middle-aged or whatever, they have a story that's long. So I will try to keep this as succinct as possible. So I took over my late husband's company in 2003 um, at the age of 30. He, We were married for 15 months and he passed away of complications of leukemia, of cancer. And at the time, I was not involved. So that is how I came into owning an agribusiness company. We owned it together on paper. We had new debt. And his, his thought was if something happened to him that we would um, sell the company and, and be done. And circumstances didn't turn out that way. So fast forward to now, I thought I would keep it for, for at least you know, six months or a year, and then I'd be able to sell. And what I realized when I got there was that due to the fact that we had just bought out his partner, uh, our debt load was really putting a cramp on our financials. And when our company isn't in good financial standing, it's really difficult to sell a company. And so I thought, well, I'll just figure it out and turn it around and then sell it. And finally, 18 years later, in December of 2020, I did end up selling to a vendor partner. 
Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about your husband. It's uh, it's obviously not not the way most people want to end up in business, right? It's um, yeah, that must have been been extraordinarily difficult to deal with that personally, as well as deal with the challenges of the business. Yes, yes, in many ways and in many regards. First. I was 30 at the time, so I was pretty green on even getting established in business. I had leadership roles prior to that, but none in the agribusiness space. And also, we just went through the funeral and people were looking to me of, what are you going to do with his company? And actually, it was a sales rep that told some of our customers, well, Sandy's going to be taking it over. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I remember hearing that and he's like, by the way, this is what I'm telling customers. And I'm like, oh, oh I guess I can do that. And so <laughs> thankfully, we never know what we're in for. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I surely probably wouldn't have said yes had I known what was ahead of me. However, I kind of did feel trapped. You know, I think we are always at choice with the circumstances we're presented. At the time, I didn't feel like I had a choice. I felt like if I don't run this business, I will be stuck with, you know, in, in these, in these, uh, in this, it was 20 years ago. So it was about a half a million in debt. So it would be about 2 million now. And that was a lot for a 30 year old to try to figure out how to pay off. So I thought, well, maybe if I can fix the company, we had great employees and great customers. So it's one of those things when you have little to lose, you're willing to try quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really relate to that whole idea of, um, you know, sometimes having the blinkers on, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, I've, I've done a number of ventures in my life where I've, I've thought to myself in hindsight, if I knew what was involved, I might not have done it. But very glad that I did do it and get through it and sense of accomplishment and all that sort of good stuff. So the reward was good, but it just, whether it be financial or otherwise, but it just, yeah, I think you know it's. I, I think that's a. It's an interesting part of entrepreneurialism and that kind of business journey. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know, the first few years obviously were really tumultuous and and a lot of chaos. However, we had the support of amazing employees, amazing customers, uh, many good community members that were willing to step up and and help, and then people that. Uh, believed in us. And we also had our share of attackers that wanted to see see us go down or steal our business or whatever. So we, you know, and after we got through that period of time, and I kind of got my footing a little bit, we had many good years. And that's why I stayed. It was a passion area for us. It was a legacy company. And um, we did, we did a lot together. and, And I miss that people and community part quite a bit even now, a year and a half later after selling. Yeah, that's an interesting thing around legacy. I'd, I'd, I'd love to unpack that with you in a little bit. It's, um, so, so just to give some context here, I guess, um, you know, certainly for, for an international audience. So this is your, your business or you're based in and around Minnesota, is that right? Yes, yes, Minnesota. So the Midwest part of the U.S., yes. Yeah, so we were a regional company, so... Worked with a lot of farms in our area and had a retail business where kind of how I grew up on a farm is that you'd go into town with your pickup and buy some bags of feed. We had that side, too, of the retail smaller farm side. 
Yeah, cool, cool. And and so you talk over this business. Can you give us a sense of um, the size of the business when you first took over? Maybe in terms of turnover, employees. What you know, just a bit of a sense of how big it was. Yeah. So we had, I believe, we had two full time employees then, and two or three part time. However, the model that we always had and we stuck to it was even back twenty years ago. We kind we were doing more of the contract economy, which is very common now, obviously. Uh, We had vendor partners and we had contract type people, marketing, things like that, that weren't on our payroll that we would work with as needed instead of having them on our payroll because we couldn't afford it, number one, nor did we need them to be on our payroll. So I didn't really know that's what we were really doing, but uh, we were kind of in that gig economy model before it became popular so yeah you're ahead of the times yeah um and and so out of interest what what was the actual kind of business model can you give us a bit of insight into what were you selling did you have to have a lot of stock was it a yeah just a just a high level for the for the uninitiated yes so we had a retail space where farmers and hobby farmers and community members would come in and buy bags of feed So we had a warehouse that had different kinds of animal feed where you could pick up 10 bags or one bag or or however many. And our so that was the retail small farm or hobby size of farm. And uh, that was neat. And that's where our offices were. And a lot of our business was done out on our farms where we would deliver larger quantities of feed and big semi trucks and so on and we would be the basically the the local retailer or local dealer of different brands of companies feed and so we'd work with the farmer and we'd actually partner with our vendors to do the nutrition work to make sure animals were fed exactly what they should be yeah that's interesting so so was it a was it a stock intent? Like, did you have to have carry a lot of inventory and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, a little of both. We carried bags, you know, like when you buy a dog food bag or a cat food bag or a rabbit feed, whatever it was. So we had a warehouse full of the bagged product. However, a lot of our feed went out in bulk, you know, like in, in massive dumps of, you know, tons of feed that would get augered into a bin on on a farm location so that was the majority of our business but we did have quite a bit of you know like the walk-in business and and the feed side too so yes it was it was kind of a yes and so we had some inventory and then we had a lot of ship as as you purchase so so we never carried it in stock at our our retail location yeah interesting interesting okay um, and so you've you've kind of taken over this business in 2003. Uh, how long did you ultimately run the company for before you eventually exited? Uh, 18 years. Wow. So my thought was I'll, I'll fix it and sell it in six months or a year. That was the utopian, yes, blissful vision. And, and uh, obviously it, some factors were present that, we needed to fix. It's not so easy to sell a company that's struggling financially, obviously, and nor did we want to. We had new debt and it just seemed insurmountable at the time. 
And so actually it was about a year and a half later where we turned from our red numbers to black numbers from being severely in trouble to being at least a little bit profitable. So um, kudos to the team for, for some hard work in there. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious, did you have any kind of business coach or support, you know, people who weren't in the business necessarily, but they're advising and helping you out? Great question, Simon. I wish I would have had a business coach, which is, you know, that's the other side of my life. Uh, Actually, about three or four years after I I turned around the company, other other companies asked if I could coach them on how to fix their business or turn around their business. So I started a coaching and speaking company and um, did that on the side for all these years until now. But um, I, you know, first it was that I didn't know who to trust. When something like this happens, we've got competition chomping and, you know, I'm already struggling emotionally to keep everything together from day to day. And, you know, talk in a small town happens quickly sometimes. And so, like, if someone saw me break down and cry, I was concerned about reputation management that way and capability to run a company and actually do this. So I... I, it took me a while and I was very private at first of who are these people? I didn't even know who most of our vendors were and had only met a few. And so I'm trying to figure out who's on my side and who's against me. And actually about six months in, I you know realized my level of defensiveness likely needed to go down so that I could receive help a little bit. And so we did have... A, a banker that was <laughs> they were concerned because they carried our debt and I, I also had an amazing accountant that I met with very often and when you're meeting with your accountant often you, you you know your business is in a state of peril and actually once I could afford it I did hire a business coach and I also joined a peer group of other business owners and until the time I sold I had both and I feel like those two avenues were the best thing I ever did, which is why I do them now. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Hey, I'm, I'm curious, you know, go, go back 20 years here um, when you first sort of took over, thereabouts. Um, I imagine this space would have been quite male-dominated in the past. So, I, I, you know, and here you are, you don't have your husband by your side. Was that ever an issue for you? Do you ever feel like people kind of, I don't want to say took advantage, but maybe thought they could kind of, I don't know, treat you differently or treat your business differently or, I don't know, because you were a, a, a woman who was doing this on her own? Yes. Yes to all of that, Simon. Yes. And there were many people who believed in what I could do or gave me a chance is how I saw it, you know, because a lot of customers could have left us and a lot of and my employees, even some of them really stuck through and, you know, wanted to make this work and felt the same passion that I did. And it was I, it got better with time, Simon. However, I'm not sure that ever went away. And where you're. Yes, I remember my first meeting with our large vendor company. And again, some of these people were very good and very helpful 
a lot of them didn't want me to play play in the proverbial sandbox with them. And, you know, yes. So the first meeting that I ever went to, I opened the door and it was myself and about 50 men sitting in the room. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, what have I gotten myself into? And at the same time, I'm like, well, go sit down because here you are. And this is what you're doing now. So that's what I did. And so I, I think, you know, we can tell stories, Simon, of you know, poor me and victimhood and all of that. And I likely did some of that myself. And the fact was, I felt like I had to work to prove myself. And, and likely work double or triple as hard as the next person. Um, you know, more because of my, I, I don't know, I, I think there was a male-female factor in there, definitely. Um, and not so much today, but it still exists. And I just, over time, I decided I am different. I, I'm not a man in this traditional industry. Many men were, many men were and are great. Some were not. You know, some some never did business with me because I was different. And I just thought, you know, I can't be mad at all of them. So instead of being defensive and disgruntled, we'll just do good work. Let's, let's just work with people that want to work with us. And so that kind of became my motto. But it was, it was hard to go against that, <laughs> the flow of the river there. Yeah, well, I can imagine. I mean, and and once again, it's not like you're just dealing with that in isolation. You're dealing with in in the context of loss and grief and all these other things, and probably wondering why this has happened to you. And it's yeah, I can imagine it would have been a really challenging time. Um, although, having said that, you do strike me as the kind of I'm just going to roll my sleeves up and get on with it kind of person. So I I imagine that it sounds like that's what you did, and and you've obviously come out the other side. So. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm always fascinated with how hardship and difficulty galvanizes the entrepreneur and makes them far more successful in the end than possibly they would have been if they didn't have a bit of hardship. I agree, Simon. Uh, we did not have a life insurance policy to cover the debt of the new company because he was already diagnosed with leukemia when we got married 15 months earlier. And so it was the perfect storm. And I, I would bet money that had I had a huge life insurance policy to cover this debt and I got out um, or I stayed in and, and had the life insurance policy, I would not have learned what I needed to the very hard way. Be you know, right out of the gate, I was crunching numbers and I was moving feed and I was running forklifts and unloading semis. So I had, I learned every element of the business. And I'd have never done that had we, you know, had this cushion of the financial picture being solid. So my life probably would have turned out much different. And I agree. In every entrepreneur success story, there's usually a huge tragedy or circumstance that takes you, takes you down, but luckily not out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so you've owned this business for 18 years. Talk, talk to me a little bit about what did the journey look like? So you you mentioned before you kind of got out of the red, you get your head above water again. Where in your journey did that sort of happen and where did you take it from there? Yeah, so uh, so I 
it was about a year and a half after my late husband Randy's death that we were able to at least get to break even and a little bit above. And that was a big feat because, you know, the talk around town that I would hear is that this lady will never make it. What's she doing? It was good local gossip for sure. And um, so that was at about the year and a half mark. And then we again, we just kind of kept chipping away at it. And I think when you go through a huge challenge like that, you really gauge how bad it can get by the chat by that sort of tragedy. And so some of this business stuff, it you know, like I would never say that I felt like, well, we've arrived, we've made it, you know. So we continued to grow the company and always had this dynamic mind a little bit of like, how could we do it different? How do we stand out as this small player in this big agribusiness commercialized market, you know, against the big players. And that became more and more challenging over the years, you know, and the, the cliche of pivoting your business. We did that several times and, you know, towards the end, it, it needed to happen quicker and quicker. And so competing against those big players became more difficult of where do we own space? And we realized fairly early on that, the people part is what we could do the best. And we would just rely heavily on vendors and uh, other professionals in the industry to come alongside us and build our dynamic that way. So yes, there were, there were many, many wins, you know, and I never remember feeling safe. You know, like someone asked me once in a different interview, when did you feel like you arrived? You know, and this was maybe 16 years into the 18 year path. And I said, I still don't feel that way. You know, where, <laughs> when did you figure out that you knew what you were doing? Well, the, I, I never felt that way. Things change too fast. And I think it's a, a danger and a red flag when we get confident and maybe a little bit too arrogant and thinking, oh, I've got this, this business figured out and let's just coast. So it was always flipping to the next thing. So it was an evolution over time of slow and steady wins the race sometimes. Yeah, look indeed. That's it's 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 one thing, and I and I I sense this in you too, Sandy, is that business owners who've been on a journey, it it doesn't being on that journey and having that experience doesn't give you necessarily the ability to predict the future and therefore, as you say, coast or be comfortable with the world. I actually think it's just being more comfortable with change and and they understand entrepreneurs and business owners get it. Change is constant. And the only thing you can really hope for is that you've got enough experience to be comfortable making decisions as you go. You know, be be, unco- be comfortable with the uncomfortableness of it, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think it's fascinating to think about every step of our lives on that journey. And I really... F- feel like the previous experience you just had sets the stage and gives you the qualifications and the capacity to handle what's presented to you at the time. And we may not feel that way, but I remember my first boss, I worked for a nonprofit development corporation and it was herself and it was kind of a startup. It was herself. And then I came in as the intern 
And then she hired me as the program manager. And she said, we don't have staff. So you're going to go lead advisory committee meetings at the age of 21, right out of college, um, of all of these government officials in our in our region. And that scared me a lot. And however, her pushing me because it's you, it's you, there's nobody else. So it's going to be you. It's myself and you and you're it for this. <laughs> and I remember thinking back then, like my first boss, Pauline, she really trained me to fi- to have that figure out ability or whatever you want to call it. And it's, uh, you know, you just figured out one decision at a time and and hopefully realize when you've made a mistake quickly <laughs> so that you can, you know, swallow your pride and go a different direction quickly, too. Yeah, absolutely. Learn from it, right? Implement the change. Keep moving, keep moving, keep iterating. It's, yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. I had another guest on this morning and um, we were talking about, certainly one of my beliefs is that that in 99% of cases, if you haven't had a few sleepless nights as a business owner, you probably haven't been in business. Um, and so that that ability to iterate and change and Except, except that nothing is perfect, but you're just going to make the best decision you can with the information at hand. I mean, that, that mindset, I think, is actually critical to long-term survival. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And the one thing that I really focused on, Simon, was the fact that I never wanted my staff to ever experience what I did, meaning something happens to the owner and they're just stuck and didn't know all the information or didn't have the right processes in place. So I really trained my staff to lead and be, you know, eventually my goal was if something happened to me, I could get, I could just get plucked out and they would be able to go on without, I mean, there's always a little bit of a glitch, but to go on fairly successfully without me. And so that was my goal. And it ended up working beautifully um, at the time of exit. Because yeah. I I ended up not having an an earnout period. However, it doesn't feel good to be plucked out either and and just be done somewhat just on the pride and ego side of it. So, uh, yes, yeah, so I set it up so that we would kind of have um, a better environment of processes to fall back on or cross training, even in a small company. So brilliant. Yeah, my brilliant. main goal is more. I want to protect them. Yeah, no, and I, I think putting other people first and saying that they're important and what they they mean to me is important gives you a, yeah, I think a different perspective than I think somebody who just wants to cut and run and make the money and, um, and don't get me wrong, making money, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think we're all in business to make money, but at, um, but yeah, I think it's 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 interesting seeing what really drives behaviour when you get to the pointy end of doing a deal. Um, so. Certainly one of the things I'm always encouraging my clients is to think about that before we're in a deal, because the last thing you want is right when you're trying to close out that suddenly you have this epiphany that all these other issues are really important to you and you've never taken the time to consider it. So, right. uh, so, so that interesting you've opened this up. So let's change gear here a little bit, because I'm interested in you're running this business. You've obviously got it to a point. It's now performing, doing good things. You've got good staff. I mean, even though you know, you just said before, you don't feel like you've got all the answers. You must still be feeling better about business. Um, At what point on that journey did you start thinking about exiting again? 
good question. I don't remember exactly, you know, if it was year 10 or year 12 or whatever. I could sense that, well, number one, when I started, we, my husband, my late husband and I had made a pact that if someone would ask us to share our story, we made this pact in the hospital when he's still alive, that we would. And thus, I started speaking almost right after he passed away because people would ask me to share the story. So that's how I started my speaking and coaching and consulting business was somebody asked. So I said yes. And then you go home and you put a proposal together um, or figure out how to do a proposal even. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, I always was doing that on the side. And, you know, you start... I think as an entrepreneur, you're always itching for what else is out there and you're watching it and so on. And I think the reason why I had this moonlighting business at the time doing coaching and consulting is I wanted to make sure I didn't have all of my, you know, proverbial eggs in one basket. And so I think it was probably, I don't know, probably five, six, seven years ago. I remember thinking, man, this industry is going to start changing really fast how long how long will we be will we be able to sustain at a smaller company level how long do i want to do this and you know there were times that, a few times in there that i asked my staff if you know what their intention was is anyone interested you know just this would be like in reviews or whatever do you want to own the company or work towards that and they were fine so i did do that and i kind of just put feelers out every now and then of would xyz company or vendor be interested and kind of hit walls with that mostly, but it gave me a really good base over time of what's my business worth and what is my business not worth and being pretty realistic about it. And it also gave me chutzpah to think about what would make my business where we're just kind of a reseller of products, what would make my business interesting and exciting enough for someone to want to come and purchase because most businesses in my space, in our space, I should say, they just close shop. You know, like they just said, we're done. We're going to take accounts receivable and sell inventory. And every every competitor, every retail agribusiness dealer around them would just take, you know, they, we, they would just assume the customers. So there was really not a huge chance of selling because you just close and everybody just divides and conquers with the available business that we had. And so, so over time I was kind of thinking about this, but I think you also know when you're, when you're, you know, thinking enough about other things where it's like, is my passion shifting? So I was fairly self-aware in that process. And I loved my business. I loved my staff. I loved the community. And a lot of me was like, ah, oh, but what could I find better than this? Because this is pretty cool, what we've got here. And then, I mean, even outside, I would get outside influence from friends, family, colleagues of, you know, why would, why would you want to do anything with this? It's good and you built it up and you should be proud. And, but me, the entrepreneurial minded person is, well, what else could I do? If I didn't do this or if I had more time, what else could I do? And so that was always in the back of my mind. And, and a lot because how I started was 
it just kind of fell upon me to take it over. And what would life be if I didn't have that dynamic? So yeah, yeah. it was all good. It was like good, good, good banter for thinking. Uh, so I kind of processed it all, tried some, hit the walls all the time and had to figure out how to make it more valuable so that it could sell. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it sounds like it was a, an iterative process over time and that, that makes a lot of sense. So how, how did you go about selling and how did you find your buyer? Well, interestingly, we had a meeting with my two key staff and then the facilitator. I, I hired a facilitator to do a strategic planning session. And this was maybe three years prior to our sale. And I, I could tell I was on zero. I was on burnout, you know, a lot of where entrepreneurs and leaders are now. And when you're when 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 you realize that, I think it's very good to you either need to change it quickly or you need to make a move because when you lose your passion for doing something, your business really starts suffering quickly. And people can notice that to your employees and so on. And so we had a I had primed our facilitator of like, I don't know if we should get out while we're on top, you know, get out, meaning let's just sell sell inventory. I didn't, I didn't have debt for most of those years. So I would be just fine to walk away and close the doors. And so, and we had something good going and I could see that we would really need to change something because we were getting pressure. We were, one of our vendors was our main supplier and I felt like that was a little bit too much control that they could perceivably have over us. So we would need to change that up. And so we had this meeting of Sandy's on burnout. Um, Are you guys in? I have some ideas of how we can build the dynamic to our company so that we can be more autonomous or should we quit now while the quitting is good? And um, so we had that meeting and we all three decided that, no, we want to try some of these new ideas. It's going to be tricky. It's going to be hard work, but we're in. And I needed their buy-in in order to keep going. So we, at that time, we doubled down. Like we weren't, I wasn't actually even thinking of a sale that time. We used what we had built on one company to actually develop a new brand. And it was the animal feed with essential oils. Okay. In, in the mix. And because I was seeing how the world of business or the world of agribusiness and how animals were being fed was likely going to follow the human pursuits of natural health. And that's exactly what happened. And so my ideas in my own mind came before I, I saw products on the market like that. And now it's interesting and fascinating to see how many other companies and the, and the big players too are coming out with these really amazing and much more healthy alternatives to the traditional, the traditional ways that we fed animals that it's mind blowing. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, and, and, you know, hindsight is 2020, but I, yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? You can see that it's going, I mean, it starts probably with uh, domesticated, you know, pets and dogs and cats and, you know, treated like a family member too. Well, actually, if it's good yes. for them, why wouldn't it be good <laughs> for animals that fundamentally make our income? Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's, it, 
it does seem very obvious now that you've said it. <laughs> um, it wasn't at the time. People thought I was a little nuts, you know, and what happened was we ended up developing a whole brand. I thought my, my idea was I want to, we're going to go after instead of the farm market that was really struggling and didn't have profits at the time, you know, it was mostly beef and dairy that we were in. I'm like, we're going to go after the urban backyard chicken market, the pet chicken market, because those people have money, you know, or they have, they have income to spend. And these are pets. They're not, you know, commodities or, or whatever. And I'm going to sell chicken feed with essential oils to these people. And that will be a great dynamic for our traditional farm side. And so it developed from chicken feed into rabbit feed and goat feed and, you know, calf feed and, and dairy feed and all of this. So uh, we had actually built that brand as our own autonomous brand. Um, and we still we we still liked working with our vendors, so we had to keep those relationships while we built something that basically was competition for them a little bit. But we wanted to not we wanted to have control of our own future more. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, and builds and builds value. So, and so so who did you eventually sell to? Yeah, so so we eventually sold to our largest vendor. And we we had great relationships with them all along, and uh, in in earlier in 2020, I sold in December of 2020. Earlier in 2020, their broker came to me um, and said, "Have you ever thought of exiting?" And actually, since day one, I always believed that my that a business should be for sale, that we should never be so tied to it that we can't walk away for the right price. You know, like we should always have that walkway price. And so I always thought like I should build this business to sell it and didn't really have a context for it, but I just thought that that was a good way to do that. And then, you know, since then there's, I've read, I'm a constant learner and and podcast listener. So um, now, you know, and back then it was a lot of books of how do you build this business to sell it then and, or, you know, grow it. and. Yeah, so then our vendor broker came to me and said, would you ever consider a conversation and selling? And so I said, I will always entertain a conversation. And uh, so that's when the talks, and that was only maybe six months before the deal went through. So, yeah, cool, cool. Yes. And, and um, so just give us a sense of what, what was the business turning over by the time you actually sold it? Um, so like at the high, we were at the high, we were really probably about the 8 million mark. So we had grown it. We were right at about the 1 million mark when, um, I started. So we grew, you know, slowly and gradually. And at the end we were probably, so what was happening was there was so much, so many horrible years in the dairy and beef side that many of our customers quit farming. Wow. So we we were experiencing attrition just because a lot of our great customers just were selling off all of their animals and going to get a, a job in town where they could actually make money. And then competition was more solid too. And so there was a lot of side, you know, like threatening things that could happen to our business. So at the end, we were probably right around the 5 million mark 
um, because some of the bigger farms that we had started going direct to the vendor and things like that. So uh, we could have we could have pivoted once more and gone into the hobby market. There's a lot of great businesses out there that are making great money doing that and serving that pet and small farm market. So, um, yeah, so that was about the size we were at at the time. Yeah, cool. And and when you thought about the value of your business, were you using like a typical kind of multiple of EBITDA or like what was the method you used to come up with a number for yourself? Yeah, so I so we were taking the profits from Egg Venture, the the traditional company and using it to build out this new brand, the New Heritage Feed Company. And so I actually had taken selling off the table for a few years because our profits didn't look as good as they usually would. Um, and so I'm like, well, we're either going to double down and stay in this for a while and then and you know, hopefully see the profits soar again. And what happened was... Actually, one of the things that I had done all along was I would make an, a, an adjusted, I always called it my adjusted income statement at the end of the year, where I would just uh, export into an Excel spreadsheet and add back in any additional expenses that we had during the year um, so that I could get to a closer number of what would the business have actually done had we not spent extra or used the profits to build this other company. And so I, I had those adjusted income statements for many years. Um, and that really helped because we could take a look at the actual picture versus, or what could have been the picture versus the actual picture. And actually, I mean, I have always believed in continuing ad and you know, negotiations and how we position ourselves um, is key. And I'm not saying I had it all mastered, but I did know that even if I thought this would be a great time to sell, you know, my message was very honest of, I don't think it's a good time for me to sell. Our numbers don't look good because I am using it to, I'm using our profits to build this other company now or this other brand. And so this just really isn't even a good time to look at our numbers because it, I mean, the multiple of EBITDA would have been pretty low. So and I also, you know, I always was a learner. So I, I always kind of knew what multiples were I'd likely get. And they weren't like a tech firm that gets the many, many multiples. It was four, five, six times EBITDA or something like that. So yeah, yeah. I, okay. I was pretty self-aware. Yeah, yeah. And and look, in that process you've described there is very common, right? I mean, that's, I, Exit Advisory, we help people sell all the time and it's, there is always a process of normalizing the numbers, adjusting the EBITDA. It's it's always a multiple of adjusted EBITDA, not just the straight EBITDA, right? So it's yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, and then we come across the occasional clients of ours who have very very clean businesses and they have no no addbacks. I've had clients with no addbacks, and I think well, that's wonderful. But most business owners run their business to to you know make the best use of that kind of corporate structure and tax benefits and whatever, which is logical. So. So yes, okay. So that's interesting. So so somewhere around that sort of four to six EBITDA, multi adjusted EBITDA is where businesses like yours generally sell. Yes, that's what I that's what was in my mind at least. And you know, obviously in the negotiations phase, and most people are aware of this, is what the owner wants and what the buying entity wants are usually different numbers, and that will be tested 
you know, there'll be low, low offers and no's along the way. And, and then you finally get to something that is acceptable for both. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, there's always some, well, if there's no middle ground, right, then there's no deal. So there's, you know, somewhere we've got to find a, a place to meet, but um, no, that's interesting. And, and, you know, typically I find with, with transactions, the remuner, uh, the, the business owner gets remunerated, you know, t- typically in three buckets, right? There's this maybe cash up front. There can be a deferred component that's not at risk. And then there can be a, an earn out. I've seen deals go in just one of those buckets, all of those buckets, combinations and everything else. But what, what, what broadly speaking, without going into confidential stuff, but just did, did you have an earn out? Did you have what sort of structure did you did you end up with? Yes. Uh, good question, Simon. So because we were, I had always worked with this vendor. So I knew their management. I knew some of their, most of their sales staff that was working with us. And we knew the dynamics of the company because we worked with them very closely as partners on the farm. So that made that a lot easier. And when they came to me, I said, I will, I will entertain this. Here's what I am asking. We need this to be friendly. We need this to go quickly because this was my late husband's company. So, you know, emotionally, it was a little bit taxing, obviously. Um, and, and there's no reason that this can't, you know, go quickly. And the other thing was, there was two other things. I would like you to treat my employees well, like that's very important to me. Or the employees, I always say mine, because you feel like you, I don't know have some piece of their life or something. But um, um, I just really valued my employees and I wanted to make sure they were taken care of. Um, and then please don't tell me what you're going to do with our company after you sell, after you buy, if, if, it, if this goes through. Because, you know, we were the small, the retailer, and they likely, I mean, even for us, we did a lot of our work by delivering. So the need for an actual location I knew wasn't that great and they'd likely close our nice location in this nice rural community. And that is what happened, but I didn't want to, I didn't want that spelled out for me. So it was too heart, heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 And and I think you mentioned, you might've mentioned actually in the beginning of our chat that I I don't think you had an earn out. Is that right? Or have I I misheard that? Oh yes. uh, Yes. Part two of that. So they came to me, we had decided on a price and actually I had split out, um, New Heritage feeds the company with essential oils into a separate S corp before that. So that wasn't involved in the sale. They wanted our traditional business. And so that was where most of the negotiating points landed because I said, well, if you're going to check on my ankles with not being able to do my new company, then it makes more sense for me to keep all of it. Um, because I knew that by selling, I would be disrupting my new company too, because we were selling a lot of product out of our own location. And so when when we did finally get to the number and get to the closing date and so on, the day that I that we closed was the day I was finished. Wow. And that didn't that was great. And I think a lot of a lot of uh owners, it works great because we're used to being the boss and the leader, and uh, we really need to take a, a second seat to stay for a year or two or however long. And so, you know, we have seen it work successfully, obviously, where people stay in long term as the president or whatever, too. 
for me, I just think I was too heartfelt and tied to it that it would have been really hard to be um, managed by someone else. But they, they didn't want me to stay either. And they actually said, Sandy, you know, no offense, but when we close this deal, we don't need you anymore. And um, so Friday we close, Monday I sit at home. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, yes, that was a, I mean, it was a different feeling for sure. Yeah, no, that's cool. I yeah. mean, look, I, I think that's actually the dream for a lot of business owners. They They want to be able to make a clean break like that. And um w- what is often um a concern i guess is business owners sometimes um having no owner can obviously impact the valuation that they get offered uh, or the price they get offered and so um i have actually seen clients take the lower of various um offers purely because the terms around earnouts and being able to exit quicker were more favorable um right. so so but by the sounds of your story, perhaps that it wasn't such an issue and it wasn't going to impact value. It just, you guys had already, you got to your price and it just suited everyone. Yes. Well, and the price was obviously lower than what I would have dreamed. And so the deal that we made was, you know, it was a, it was a, a straight sale. They bought everything, you know, the buildings and everything, um, inventory, equipment, all of that. And so all I had to do was pack up my office which made it even easier on me than having to liquidate anything or whatever. And, um, and so my concern in the deal process was, you know, we're finally having fun again. We went through a few not so fun years of lower profits and losing farms. And now we discovered this new feed that's working and we're finally getting some synergy off of it. So there, I think there's more upside than what's being presented here as an offer for me. So I might just stick it out. And so what happened was they get, it was a straight sale and where I exited and um, I kind of figured that they'd be able to keep a lot of our, our customers because we had a great relationship with them as a team. And so, so I get a commission check base basically for a few years, um, you know, nothing that's uh, a windfall or anything, but a little bit to um, pay back for all of what we built back up where I couldn't capitalize on at the time of the sale. So, and they're doing great. They're doing great as a company. My employees got hired by that company and they're doing great. And I'm, I'm happy for all of them. And I miss, I miss the people part. Definitely. I'm proud of I'm proud of how they all landed. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, so you've moved from here. You, you've now got the new Heritage Feed Company. You're doing coaching and speaking and all this wonderful stuff. I noticed that you sit on the board of directors for St. Cloud State University as well. What? How do you spread your time out now? What gets you most most of your focus? Yes. Well, so at the time, for for the new Heritage side, I'd lost my team. Yeah. Because the team went with them. And I also lost, I knew this ahead of time, I would be disrupting my own new company because a lot of the sales were sitting at that retail location. And I just thought, well, we're an e- we'll be an e-commerce, you know, distribution type model instead of like the retail model anyway. So I'll just build it back. And what I ended up doing with that company was putting it on hold, kind of like putting it on pause. I'm like, oh, it, 
this is a, you know, basically a startup all over again because I lost my resources basically. And so I kept the, I kept the company going and I thought, well, if I can find a strategic partner that wants to plant a team and work with me, I've got a lot of the baseline built, but I basically put it on pause um, for for most uh, until about a month or two ago, actually, where um, I mean, we kept retailers going that were ordering and reordering and so on um, all this time. But, you know, as far as any big pushes, I'm like, I, I can't do this by myself, nor do I want to this time. And so so we're, we're slowly ramping that back up. But my role this time is founder, you know, visionary. It's not going to be the day to day person um once we're out of this test phase and so on so that's still happening i'm pretty excited about it because we're we've got some new products in the mix that i think um um will you know just in the in the natural food and plant-based animal feed space that are pretty exciting so yeah, cool. the, the strategic partner that we're testing um has put together a, a, t- a test phase of let's just try to do something with this and it's kind of fun. So I got that. And then I actually ended up picking up like, like, well, now I have space and time. So I facilitate a peer group of other business owners and CEOs. And I love that. I did that previously too. And my whole thing is I want entrepreneurship to be a lot more um, lucrative, a lot more fun come with a lot more ease than some of the struggles that I went through. So I do have one-on-one clients that I help with leadership teams and evolving a company's dynamics, which is pretty hot right now, obviously. Um, I have one-on-one clients that own companies or that are high-level leaders in companies. And so then I've got the group that I facilitate, and then I do some speaking too. So it's... um, Keeps you busy. I'm... (laughs) Oh, I'm loving it all. And I, I miss what we had, but I'm loving it all. And it's some of it is just stepping into the new, even when, you know, you're, you're, you're longing. I think you do go through a dark night of the soul after you sell your company of, oh, I didn't think it was going to happen this way. Or, um, you know, when you're done, it's amazing. I mean, everyone moves on, including me. And it's like, huh. Uh, you're used to all these dynamics and hundreds and hundreds of people surrounding you every day and this dynamic business. And then boom, you're by yourself. That's a lot of thinking time. So <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah, Cause I already had had coaching clients and peer groups that I facilitated and speaking. So um, I made sure of that ahead of time. I knew I wasn't one to just rip the bandit and do nothing for a while, but I do like to have more time freedom than the previous, the previous uh, hard drive I was always on. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Sandy, I could probably talk to you about this sort of stuff all day. I'd, I'd, I'd like to put you on the spot in the moment and ask if there is one piece of advice that you would like to share with other entrepreneurs who are on their journey and perhaps not ready to exit yet, but heading that direction. And But before I do that, are you happy for people to reach out and connect with you? Yes, absolutely. Um, again, my goal is to make everyone everyone else's path easier, to help them dream larger, and to ha- you know have it be successful. And um, so, yes, uh, my email is sandy at sandyhansonwolf.com. 
Um, my website is under the same, it's, you know, sandyhandsomewolf.com. And, um, yes, we are all, I mean, this is, we're all in, there's so much, so much to do in this world for the good of all and happy to be a part of somebody's journey. And this is my passion work that I get to do. That business was my passion work. And this is my, my passion work that I get to live every day. And I'm just so lucky. No, that's awesome. Well, look, we'll, we'll put links to your website and certainly your LinkedIn page on uh, in the show notes. Um, for those reaching out on LinkedIn and connecting, please, maybe just put a little note there for Sandy, letting her know that you heard, you heard her being interviewed on the podcast so she knows where you're coming from and why you're perhaps reaching out would be nice. Um, but yeah, look, that's great. We're, I'm really happy to be sharing this and pointing people in that direction. Um, and, Thank and- you. And Sandy, before we finish, is is there the 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 one tip, a parting a parting gift, I guess that uh, that you can share with your fellow entrepreneurs? Yes. First of all, listen. You know, when we listen, some of those answers are being told to us, and sometimes we're so stubborn that we're not listening to people that are trying to help us. And if I had one solid piece of advice for any entrepreneur or high level leader, I tell this to all client prospects that I have. Every leader and business owner should have a peer group and they should have a business coach. And I always tell them, if if I am not a match, go find someone that is. Because you need those trusted confidants. And once I had that in place, my level of learning increased tenfold. You had your private board of advisors and the, some of the best friends I'll ever have met came out of those groups and out of, um, so get a coach, get a peer group. If not me, someone else. It's the best things I ever did to move the needle the quickest. Well, I totally agree. I mean, if it's uh, having a coach is good enough for the world's greatest athletes, I mean, you'd think if, if anybody knows how to do it, an elite athlete knows how to do their bit, you know, their, their, their sport well, but they still have coaches, right? So the best, yes, absolutely. The, the best people have support and have advisors and have coaches. So, um, yeah, no, great, great advice. Sandy, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and thanks for sharing. Well, thank you, Simon. It, again, it's a humble privilege whenever I'm asked to do a podcast and it's, uh, it's just a joy to have been able to chat with you today. Thanks. Thanks so much, Simon. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. 
Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn. 